Chapter 22 Red Thong Three hours later, Chaz and Luke circled farmland outside of Waco, Texas, about to put their flying shit bucket of a plane down on a stretch of pavement which had euphemistically been listed as an airport runway. Obviously, someone in Texas had a sense of humor. The landing jarred the hell out of them, tires finally hitting enough potholes to slow them down. Coming to a stop, he gave Chaz his patented, is that the best you could do look, while tossing his headphones in the back seat. She rolled her eyes and gave him the finger. True to his word, Rhodes left an honest-to-God Department of Agriculture pickup truck parked near one of the three hangars. The airport was tiny, not much more than an unattended strip of chewed-up blacktop in the middle of nowhere, existing to serve only a few crop-dusting operations and their pilots who tried to make a little extra money over the weekends, giving flying lessons. There was nobody there except them. The pickup truck proved useful as they navigated a web of dirt roads which was nothing more than access paths for heavy equipment, such as tractors and combines. They found the first site near dusk, however, came up empty. They confirmed it was an agrifuse facility by the no trespassing sign posted on the gate. However, after cutting the lock and driving the perimeter of the field, it was apparent nothing had been planted there in some time. Strike one. Chaz paid for two rooms in a small, ancient-looking motel near the airport with an attached diner and gas station. Opting to get an early start in the morning instead of flying into a non-lighted, unattended rural airport at night. They were both hungry and in need of a shower, so it was a no-brainer. They dumped their gear in their rooms, cleaned up, and met a half hour later in the diner, opting for a booth in the corner, Chaz sitting with her back to the wall with a clear view of the door in the kitchen. The conversation started slowly, picking up pace by Luke's second beer. So, now we're co-workers. How was it I became your assignment in the first place, Luke asked. You mean the Greenleaf thing? Chaz said, sipping her soda. They needed a girl, and as you can tell, I fit that description. We picked up bits and pieces of random chatter with the glass or name popping up a lot. Nobody at Ag, she said, using the short version of their employer's name, had a clue about your brother or anything having to do with the scope of the organization's efforts against him. At the time, based on your lifestyle, you seemed to be a much more likely target for questionable activity she said through a smile. So, you thought I had something to do with the organization? Luke asked. Wouldn't you? she replied. Luke shrugged in agreement. So, now that I'm as clean as the driven snow, here we are, in the middle of freaking nowhere, looking for a toxic plant crop that could ruin the world. Have to admit, in a week's time, my life is taking more than a few interesting turns, he said. They downed a couple of burgers, greasy enough to lube a tractor, swore off the fries, and were back in their respective rooms immediately after dinner, in preparation for an early start the next morning. Luke tossed and turned for the better part of an hour, trying to push Chaz out of his mind and focus on the bigger challenges that lay ahead. 
It wasn't working. He kept replaying snippets of her in his mind, her electric smile and great figure dancing in his head like some avant-garde screenplay. He was jolted out of his thoughts when he heard a knock on the door. Answering it, he saw Chaz standing in the breezeway, twirling a red thong and sporting a thousand-watt smile. A thousand miles away, Beth and Serena threw their gear into a rental car at the DeKalb Airport outside of Atlanta, the very one Rhodes had used a few days before. It was almost 11 p.m. and traffic was light. Beth ran through several scenarios in her mind as she drove, trying to determine the most likely situation they would encounter. She doubted anyone would still be keeping watch over Gomes's place, since he was of no value to anyone anymore. Plus, whoever had been waiting for her previously had suffered substantial losses. It was highly unlikely they'd spend their resources watching an empty apartment. She just hoped whoever person or group had been so focused on Gomes and his apartment that they had forgotten about the car. She had the keys, so she felt certain that the car would have fallen through the cracks. Serena sat next to her with her laptop open, looking for likely places Gomes would have parked his car. The apartment building was old. Only ten apartments spread out over five floors with no designated parking. She looked closely at the map and saw several areas near the apartment that looked like construction zones at the time of the satellite photo. From what she could tell, there was nothing obvious except street parking. They drove slowly down the streets bordering Gomes's apartment, looking for a BMW. Occasionally, Serena would push the panic button on the key as they drove near a group of parked cars. It was on the second loop around the building Serena saw the parking garage, built in the same area as the construction zone she had seen on the map. Beth guided the car up the ramp to the public parking area on the second floor. Beth stopped and Serena got out, surveying the interior of the parking structure while pressing the panic button, pointing the key in a variety of directions. Within moments, they heard what they were hoping for, a car horn blaring on the floor directly above them. They drove to the next level and quickly found a blue 3 Series Mercedes backed into a parking slot near the corner exit. A thin film of dust covered it, obvious to the occasional passerby that it hadn't been used in a while. They parked beside it and unlocked it. The interior lights were burned out and the garage lighting was poor. Beth grabbed her flashlight from her bag and started a thorough search of the driver and passenger area when Serena touched her arm at the same time that a beam of light swept over them, a rent-a-cop security SUV pulling in, blocking both of the cars. The rent-a-cop was a heavy-set white guy, baby-faced despite being in his late 30s. He blipped his noisemaker and slowly eased himself out of the SUV, right hand resting on the butt of his pistol, holstered in a patent-leather officer's belt which looked a size too small. His pear-shaped midsection fell over the front of his belt, straining the buttons on his shirt and causing his cheeks to be a little rosier than any man would have wanted. He walked with a cocksure manner that clearly indicated that his ego was in better shape than his body. 
Help you ladies? he asked, striding up to the hood of the car. No thanks, Serena replied. Just looking for something. You the owner of this car? he asked. Yeah, I've got the key. I just lost something, Serena replied. Well, miss, that thing's been sitting here for a while and there's no decal. This has been parked in the reserved area, the rental cop said. I'm sorry, I'll move it out of here now, she said. The security guard licked his lips as he visually undressed her. There's liable to be a pretty big parking tab on it. I can't let you move this thing till the fines are paid. I was going to put a boot on it this week, he said. Come on, that's crazy. I just need to find what I'm looking for, and I promise I'll be back tomorrow to pay the fines, Serena said. Why don't you just let me see your ID first? That'd be a good start, he said. That's actually what I'm looking for. My wallet fell out of my purse, and I can only assume it fell out here, Serena said. He thought about what she said for a moment, then addressed Beth, who had been conspicuously silent. What about you, Blondie? You lose your ID, too? Why don't you let me see it, he said. Beth smiled and walked toward him, trying to hide her slight limp. She shook her head and pursed her lips. No, I don't have mine either. She paused for dramatic effect. What do you think it would take for you to let us off with just a warning this time? She asked with her most provocative smile. The guard was clearly eager to come up with a suitable fantasy for two gorgeous women to fulfill on a slow night and mentally chewed on a few scenarios when Serena took advantage of his preoccupation with Beth to deliver a crushing fist to his right ear. He wobbled mightily, going down on one knee, his eardrum shattered and the top of his jaw broken. She delivered a vicious roundhouse kick to his nose, knocking him to the pavement, unconscious and bleeding. Beth looked at Serena with her eyebrows cocked. Where did that come from, she asked. Dad was an MMA fighter before he left us, Serena said. Plus, I hate rent-a-cops. Beth raised her eyebrows in amazement. Good to know, she said. Come on, let's get this fat tub of shit in the car. They both looped an arm under his and drug him around the vehicle after Beth had moved it from blocking their exit. Careful for your stitches, Serena said, as they propped him into his SUV and checked for a dash cam. Luckily, there was none. See if Gomes' car will start. We need to get it out of here. I don't want any more surprises, Beth said. As soon as Serena climbed into the driver's seat and successfully started Gomes' car, she heard a pop, like a firecracker, then saw Beth walking away from the SUV, a small twenty-two caliber handgun in her hand. As they drove past the guard toward the exit, Serena could see the small bullet hole in the guard's forehead. Serena followed Beth to the condo in Buckhead, where they had spent the better part of a month until recently. Beth punched in the code for the garage access, and followed her to what used to be their old parking area. They were lucky that in such a high-end facility there were garages within the parking structure, much like one would find in a standalone condo. Beth got out, punched the keypad, raising the double door for the two-car garage. Serena parked inside. With the garage door down, 
Beth turned on the bright fluorescent garage lights, began to inspect the BMW, looking for anything Gomes may have hidden or left behind. Within 20 minutes, they found a USB key fob buried under the seat. Serena quickly popped it into her laptop, only to find some homemade porn Gomes had written, directed, and starred in, along with what appeared to be a $50 hooker. Serena cringed as she quickly scanned the files, determining there were nothing more than variations on a theme and worthless. Nothing here unless you want to see Gomes naked, Serena shouted at Beth from across the garage. Thanks, but I'll pass. Beth kept looking, and within 15 minutes, her search paid off. In the trunk, underneath the spare tire, was a small folder. She quickly scanned the documents and found what she was looking for. Bingo! Found it, she shouted. Looks like we're going to California. Jack's wrist was sore and his fingers cramped from drawing. He kicked the sofa where Glenn Halvers was sitting, now slumped down, dozing off. Damn it, wake up, Jack was exasperated. He had been sitting with Halvers for over four hours, and it was readily apparent, though Halvers may have known Draper, he never actually looked at him with anything resembling an eye for detail. It didn't take a shrink to see Glenn was about as self-absorbed as any human could possibly be, and aside from remembering in great detail one of his major accomplishments, which he felt compelled to share with Jack, he was borderline worthless. Jack had drawn, erased, redrawn, and redrawn again, owing to the poor memory of the only person they knew who had actually seen Draper. Jack was getting more pissed by the moment. Halvers woke up. Yeah, what? You done? Jack glared at him as he handed the sketch pad to Halvers, knowing that he was engaged in a futile effort. That's him, Halvers said, lurching himself upright on the edge of the sofa. You nailed it. That's him, all right. Jack quickly grabbed the sketch pad and pushed the intercom button. Thing one walked in, yawning and tired, and unlocked the door. Jack was in Rhodes' office in a flash. Got him, he said triumphantly, tossing the pad on Rhodes' desk. Rhodes, who had been staring at his computer screen, rubbed his eyes and looked down at the face staring back at him from the sketch pad, drawn with near-photographic precision. I'll be goddamn. So that's a bitch," Rhodes said with a smirk. 